Well, the author of the feast for the next four weeks in the Word and and exploring what it means the, to follow the monkhood of all believers is really Tim Blake, our assistant pastor, who suggested to me, uh, shout out, yeah, raise the roof, um, uh, in the fall he was in the midst of reading that book or had just finished reading that book and he said, James, I think this could be a great series. And, uh, you know, thinking that we all have a place uh, that doesn't require us to go off and live in a monastery all by ourselves, because that's not a monastery, by the way, that's a hermitage, just in case you were wondering. Uh, a monastery is a place where you gather with other folks of Christian background and hold one another accountable and live a life that is built around Christ. And the truth is, that's really what we're all supposed to do, uh, whether or not we live in separate spaces or not. And so the question becomes, how do we make, without moving into a monastery, you know, building one right next door and all of you selling all your possessions and moving into the building next door, each one of you having a room for your family, no matter how big it is, you know, six people to a room, three people to a room, one person to a room, um, you know, there you go. Rather than doing that, how can you stay right where you are and yet build your life around Christ? That is a question worth asking. That is a question worth pursuing for each one of us. You know, whatever work we do, wherever we find ourselves, whatever our focus is, how do we get there? And is it possible for us who live lives that some people would call secular uh, to, to do that? And how dare James be the one who talk about it because he doesn't live a secular life. We pay him to have a religious life, you know, but you know, I'm going to talk about it anyway. And hopefully what I will have to say will in some way uh, coincide with how we each find ourselves living our lives. Now, as a starting point before I get to the scripture, I wanted to share with you, this is a wonderful book. You know, if nothing else, it's one of the many books that the Living School introduced me to. This book, The Forgotten Desert Mothers, uh, is a book about early church women who, like the Desert Fathers, went out into the wilderness uh, because they wanted to really find out what Christian faith was supposed to look like. And so they went into the desert. Off it. They, were, they lived alone, but they lived near each other so that they could kind of hold each other accountable, help each other out, figure out important things and they would gather in conclaves periodically to talk and probably the desert mothers outnumbered the desert fathers but as is the case over the last 2,000 years we tended to save what the desert fathers said and not always so much what the desert mothers said well one of the ones I wanted to share just a it's in your printed update if you have a copy um, but I want to share you, it's, it's saying number 19 by Amma Sincletica. Let me tell you just a little tiny bit about Amma Sincletica. She was born into a wealthy family, uh, and two, her two brothers pre died before her. She had a blind sister, and when her parents died, she was given charge, she was, had to take care of her sister. She sold everything that they owned, gave it to the poor, and moved into the family tomb with her sister uh, at the edge of town. So uh, she had a lot of things to say, and she was considered one of, in fact, she's remembered, there are books actually written about her even in the 5th and 6th century, several centuries after her death. 
because she was remembered as a woman of deep faith. Um, and Amma just means mother in Aramaic, like Abba means father in Aramaic. And this is what she says, and this should give you hope, because this is the woman now, she sold everything, gave it to the poor, and moved into a tomb. I'm not asking you to do that, and neither would she. Here's what she says. There are many who live in the mountains and behave as if they were in town, and they are wasting their time. It is possible to be a solitary in one's mind while living in a crowd, and it is also possible for one who is a solitary to live in a crowd of personal thoughts. It is possible for you in a crowd, in the craziness of work and driving and family and shopping and eating and sleeping, if you fit that into your busy schedule, all of those pieces, raising a family, it is possible for you to be, at least according to Amma Sincletica, a solitary, a person who finds a grounding in God and can live in such a way that your life reflects the goodness of Christ everywhere, all the time. Now, even before Amma Sincletica was writing that, uh, in the first letter of Peter, yeah, I had to get a new Bible because the old Bible was too small and I needed something really heavy and thick in case I were to need it, you know, to self-protect. Actually, you know, I have been using the Common English Bible since it came out, and I just decided I needed to go back to my roots, which are the New Revised Standard Version, and so I, my Christmas present to myself was a new, fat, heavy Bible, plus the words are big enough that I can see them <laughs> even without my glasses on. Okay, no, let's put the glasses back on, but they're bigger. They're bigger, easier to see, and for old folks... It is always good to see what you're reading. So, in the second chapter of 1 Peter, uh, the first letter of Peter, um, Peter, sa Peter says this, Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, and like living stones, talking to the people who would receive this letter, like living stones, you, like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted, to God, accepted by God through Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, he quotes scripture. I'm skipping some of that Old Testament quotations. They're good quotations. And he goes on to say in verse 9, but you, you, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, as I looked at the text uh, for 1 Peter this week and began to think about this, uh, uh, this beginning, about the need for us to find a space within, I thought about how crazy our lives are, all of you, 
I know how crazy your lives are. You can be retired. You can have a full-time job. You can be holding three full-time jobs. You can have children. You cannot have children. No matter what situation you find yourself in, your life is jam-packed full of stuff going on all the time. You are making things happen. You're going to school. You're coming home from school. You're doing homework. You're playing 17 sports. Your, uh, your parents are your uh, tutors as well as your taxi drivers as well as all of these things are just going on all the time. And even if it's not, work today has become something more than an eight-hour-a-day kind of deal. Now you carry those devices. I took mine out of my pocket because sometimes it goes off during worship when Linda's tweeting worship. Uh, you know, it's going, and eventually I lose track. Oh, I must have been saying really cool things. What was I saying again? You know, uh, so I had to take that out of my pocket. But they can be in touch with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I remember when I was first a United Methodist pastor in 1983, and if you wanted to get in touch with me, you could leave a message at home if I wasn't there or at the office. But anywhere in between was space. So if I were visiting you in the hospital, you wouldn't have to worry that while I was trying to listen to you, my phone would be going off in my pocket because somebody else wanted my time and distracted me from actually physically being present with you, as well as spiritually. But today, there is always things taking up space. We can't even go to dinner with someone we love without pulling out the phone to be somewhere else other than with the person we love. Because that's what it is. That's what it is. It is an addiction that has sucked us into another world. How can we ever find space inside of ourselves if we're always just pouring more stuff in there? Well, 1 Peter has some hints for us. Leading up to the section I just read for you. In chapter 1, verse 13, it says this. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he's revealed. Discipline yourselves. You know, actually answering your phone is a discipline. It's a choice. Actually reading every text as it comes in and responding immediately is a choice. How many of the texts are world-altering for you that come into your phone? I, I don't know. Maybe two or three. You know, I know it was world-altering for me when my watch went off on Friday and I discovered that my denomination was, was divorcing. Or at least was thinking about it and they had written letters of intent. Uh, and we'll see what the contract looks like afterwards. I, you know, I mean, yes, it interrupted my life and it threw me off my game. And I, I shouldn't have even looked. I should have just been present with the next person that I gave cereal to. What kind of cereal can I provide for you today? Something sweet? Something delightful? Yes, I have a shelf full. Oh, and snacks. Don't let me ever forget snacks. Juice. Of course we have juice. I would love to provide it for you. But instead, I was like, oh, great. Why did they do this on Friday morning? <laughs> and within a few moments, I had heard from folks that I love. What does this mean, James? I don't know. I just found out myself. And by the way, I'm at the pantry. Let me feed the food to the people who are hungry, which is probably much more important than whether or not we break up as a church or not. But that's neither here nor there. The truth is, it is so distracting to be alive. There is always something. 
to catch our attention, to pull us away. And if we need to anesthetize, our, anesthetize ourselves, just turn on the television. You know, and I don't mean the news channels, because that does not anesthetize me. <laughs> that winds me up, if anything. But I'm talking about some harmless Netflix program, as if there is such a thing, that I can binge watch for eight episodes or more, you know, uh, like I have that time. But when I need to be anesthetized, there is Netflix, or Amazon Prime, or HBO on the go, uh, or, you know, you name it, I've got it. And Netflix doesn't even really give me a choice. It just plays program after program after program. Virgin River. I watch that. Don't. <laughs> Don't. Eight episodes of Paplum, uh, you know, but go ahead. If you want to now, you can see how I wasted three lunch periods of my week during my time off. Don't do it. Don't do it. How distracted are we? No wonder there's no space for us to be present with one another, let alone to be present with God. We don't make the space in our lives. But to do so would require a kind of discipline. If you need to respond immediately, respond immediately. But sometimes, maybe you can wait five minutes. You hear your phone go off, and you let it sit. I don't know what would happen. I, I, now, if you have a really important job that you know makes decisions about whether the world will end tomorrow, then maybe you need to answer that right away. Because it would be nice if it stayed around. But chances are, five minutes is not going to break the world. And maybe waiting to respond. And sometimes, quite frankly, I've gotten texts or emails from someone who stirred me up to a place where I said, this wasn't my Friday experience, but have stirred me up to a place where I said, I can't respond right now. I have to create a space so that when I respond, I'm responding, not reacting because there's a big difference between the two. And there has to be a space within me, a loving, giving, open space that I can respond to what you've said in a way that's positive. You know, you've heard those count to 10 before you respond in anger and all those kinds of things. And you think, oh, that's kind of namby-pamby. No, it's not. How many times have you let something come out of your mouth immediately because you thought it was cute? or you thought it was good, or you thought you'd win the argument, and you lost it. <laughs> you lost the argument immediately, and you spent the next week apologizing every time you saw that person. And if you live with them, oh my gosh, that's a lot. You just couldn't wait for them to go off to work, so at least you wouldn't be able to apologize for it. You wouldn't have to apologize for a little while. Whew, they're gone. <sighs> I'll just save up my best apology for later on. Is there another way to say I'm sorry? <laughs> I don't know. Creating a space within requires discipline. And I think the first letter of Peter says that. Wants us to know that it's out of discipline that we open our minds to the possibility of creating a space within where God can kind of begin to ambush and transform and change us. But we have to be disciplined enough to stop, to slow down. Okay, if you can't wait five minutes to respond to your phone, can you wait one? Can you do 60 seconds without immediately looking at, oh, 
my text just went off. I know I'm talking to you right now, but maybe it's something really interesting, not you. <laughs> you know, uh, really? Because that's what I see you saying. When you're talking to me and looking at your phone, I'm saying, okay, we're, we're not here. You're somewhere else. I don't know where somewhere else is, but apparently I'm not that interesting. Now, if you all are all tweeting the service because it is so amazing and insightful, that's okay. <laughs> I'm expecting that of you. But I'm talking about that normal kind of stuff. First Peter goes on to say this. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. You shall be set apart. Now, to be set apart doesn't require moving into a whole other location, a hermitage, a monastery. It requires an attitude of the heart, a heartfulness, if you will. You know, you hear mindfulness all the time. My new phrase is going to be heartfulness. Because for us as Christians, that's, that's the center of who we are right here. Heartfulness, a space where we can be present, set apart, so that when people want to talk to us, we're actually in the conversation. Are there people you seek out to be talking to because you know when you talk to them, they actually listen to what you say? And other people that you know, well, I've got to talk to that person because I've got to get approval for whatever it is. But they're not going to be listening to anything I'm saying. They're going to be writing some other piece of paper or texting two people or sending five emails while I'm talking to them. So while I'm talking to them, I'm going to see when they get most distracted, and then I'm going to ask for the $5 million raise. And they say, sure. Yeah, you said, sure. <laughs> you know. The truth is, being set apart, being holy, recognizing who you are. You know, James was kind of kidding around. It's, he wasn't kidding around. You know, there was a time when you needed somebody official to connect you with the eternal God. And for some of you, maybe I help you connect because I'm official. But the truth is, you can connect to God right where you are, right now. If I read 1 Peter correctly, one of my favorite passages in the entire scripture is, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. That's you and me. And that's all of us together. All of us have space to be this priesthood that carries out this message that transforms the world. You and I go into this space through discipline, through recognizing we're set apart, and through mutual love. I skipped that part in 1 Peter, but it's in there. Mutual love from a pure heart. We go into this space within that allows us to be a royal priesthood with all those we encounter. Priests bring healing to the world. They listen to the brokenness. They care and are concerned, and they intercede on behalf of those they encounter to God. They intercede. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone at the end, the best you could do was say, God, God help them. God help them. And it might have been a kind of a throw-off phrase, but the truth is you realize they really need some help. 
God, my prayer is that you will help them. That you will help them. This is a really intriguing time to be alive in our world. And around us is a lot of brokenness, a lot of alienation, a lot of indifference. It's hard to really care because as soon as you start caring, the, even the very people you care about somehow betray your care and concern. And you wonder if you can trust them. And in the midst of that, we are called to be a royal priesthood that intercedes on behalf that loves a broken world, an alienated world, an angry world. Man, I have never heard so much polemical stuff in my life as I do these days. All around me, all the time. We're angry about our football team, our basketball team, our baseball team, our college, our political party, our, uh, the other political party that's not our political party, whatever it is, another country, you know, we're angry with our own job, with how much we're being paid, with how much we're not being paid, with whatever's going on, that we are angry about all those things. My spaciousness within would let us let go of those things. A spaciousness within would say, God is still God. Whatever happens, God is still God. But that requires a discipline and recognition in your own life. So I'm not saying it's easy. I don't think Amma Simcletica, when she wrote that thing that you can be a solitary in the midst of a crowd, I don't think she was saying it's really easy. It requires work. Can you make a minute? When you get up in the morning just to say, thanks, God, for letting me have a new day to practice? Can you make a minute right before you eat your lunch, even if you're sitting with your business partners and you don't want to do it so that they can see you? You've got to start somewhere. Close your eyes and be heartful for a moment. Be thankful for the food in front of you. Recognize that God has already blessed it for you, and it's a blessing that you have something to eat. Recognize that. Begin to build small disciplines in. Tim was sharing with me that one of the things that he, uh, uh, that he began as a practice when he was trying to fit monasticism into his life, hope I'm not stealing his thunder from future messages, but uh, is he set his watch to go off every hour. And, you know, just, you know, the little quiet, <laughs> let you know, you know, whatever. And when, they, when that time came, he said the Lord's Prayer and the Jesus Prayer took less than a minute, but it was a reminder every hour and the hour that you're connected. It was his way of disciplining himself. Tony uh, Waller, who has now moved, well, he hasn't moved anywhere. He's just, you know, he's in Montana or he's in Florida or sometimes he's local. A longtime member of St. James used to tell me he let the stop signs be a reminder. Every time he had to stop the car at a stoplight or a stop sign just to pray, he saw them as stop and pray. He said, every time I see a stop sign, it was stop and pray. Now, don't pray too long because you will hear horns behind you, sisters and brothers. I just want to tell you. But you have a moment. You have a moment. How will you build some disciplines in so that you can really be the royal priesthood? You can make a difference wherever you are. You can change the world by being the flavor, the salt that makes it a better place.
You can do that. So I challenge you, as we do these next four weeks, as we look at the monastic vows, next week, poverty. The week after that, chastity. The week after that, obedience. Oh, James, what are these, what are these vows that you're going to ask us to take? Wait, hear them. See how they might call you out. We're not moving into a monastery tomorrow. But we are trying to open up within us the space so God can move in our inner monasteries. You are living stones being built into a holy place, a temple for the Lord. And you can live that out.